Welcome to Sassy Esoterics. I'm Sarah Fomlar Ragsdell, a high priestess and teacher of divine feminine mysteries. And I'm Elena Garlic, a transition doula, death doula, and generally a badass witch. Every Friday, we talk to sassy, soulful teachers, thought leaders, witches, and magical manifestors. Together, we are creating a modern spiritual sisterhood, and you are invited to join the circle. Sassy Esoterics is brought to you by Peace Lilith and 21st Century Priestess, the Modern Temple Mystery School. As Peace Lilith, I guide and support people as a transition and death doula, working with them through major life transitions and end of life journeys. We take on this process through the idea of radical self-inquiry and radical self-acceptance. You can work with me either one-on-one or by taking my shadow boxing course, an invitation to daily shadow work, or you can join my women's circle, Yoni's in the Ether via Zoom. And finally, I'm also leading community conversations on the matters of life and death and how they affect us in our daily lives. If you'd like to reach out to Peace Lilith, please find me at peace.lilith on instagram.com. And you can also find me on Facebook at Peace Lilith Transition Doula, or you can visit my website at peacelilith.com. With 21st Century Priestess, I work with women who are ready for change and to ask, how did I get here? And how can I change my life? I work one-on-one with women to connect with that mind-soul combo that leads to real meaningful shifts in all aspects of our lives. And with the Modern Temple Mystery School, I work one-on-one with women who are wondering, hey, am I a witch? And I also teach courses, small intimate gatherings online with women who would prefer to learn in a group situation, much like the classic way of learning from a high priestess to a group of one day witches and priestesses. So if you're interested in working with me, you can reach me at 21stcenturypriestess.com and also check out Instagram at 21stcenturypriestess. All right. Welcome to Sassy Esoterics. This is Elena. Sarah is actually taking the week off for some much needed self and soul care. And I invite that Each of you should be doing something similar during this eclipse season, but I'm here today with my very good friend and client, Mirta. She's come on to talk with us a little bit about her journey and where she's been and how she's ended up here with us now. Hey, Mirta, how are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Hi, everybody. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm glad to have you. So (laughs) I've known you for close to a decade now, and we met at a very interesting time in my life. And 
um, at that point, we had both been through some things. So we bonded pretty quickly on just the general attitude of having to make it through a life that is challenging in some ways. Very much. You know? Very much. Yeah. But I'd really love to hear a little bit about you and if you would share with our listeners some background and where you've come from. Um, sure. So um grew up in a basic nuclear family. My folks are still together, 35 years and counting or something like that at this point. Um, and uh, I kind of grew up as an only child initially. My brothers weren't born until I was uh, nine years old and then 15 years old. So those those were my kids. I was a lot of raising them and I was just kind of mom number two. Um, my uh, My dad has been disabled my entire life. Um, so that was, you know, part of the the challenge and everything, and part of the reason that I needed to be mom number two. Um, but as a as a kid, it was my dad was like was like having Chuck Norris for a dad. You know, he was just he was he was terrifying. But you know, when you say, oh, you know, my dad can beat up your dad, I actually knew it. Like I knew for true that my dad was that badass. Um, but as the, as the years went on and his disabilities got worse, and we, we were actually in a car accident together when I was 11 years old. That was really the clincher. We were hit by a tractor trailer. Um, and uh, my dad's pain and his head injuries just really started to take over. Um, and it, it changed his personality. It changed his functionality. Um, and it really changed our relationship. And it changed my entire family's relationship. Um, it's something that we're we're still trying to evolve through um, that we, we went through some really ugly times. Um, you know, I ended up in foster care because quite frankly, it had gotten to the point where one of us likely wasn't going to survive. Um, my father or I, if, if I continued to be in the house, one of us wasn't going to make it out. Um, and we're, we're close now, but it's, there's some, still some of that there. Um, and it was a very, very uh, Christian-based, very strict Christian-based household. Um, you know, I I actually didn't come out as gay until my 30s, <laughs> um, largely because of that <laughs> that environment. Um, so if that gives you any context there, um, but it was it was very very uh, very heavy on the the spirituality. Um, like I, I grew up basically eating kosher and still do to this day. Um, so for those that don't know, that's uh, you know not eating things like pork, shellfish, um, and uh, so it's, you're not Jewish. Though. To be clear, though, you're not. I'm Jewish. not Jewish. Yeah, yeah, I am not Jewish. Yeah, it's a it's basically a very aggressive brand of Christianity um, mm -hmm. that follows that same kind of eating law with the, the clean and unclean foods. Um, so that's, that's the level of Christian that we're talking about and not even going to an organized church because none of them were good enough to my dad. So right. it was all home taught, all home taught. Um, and just very, uh, to give, I guess to give a little better context, my dad grew up in a Texas military academy. So we were raised 
Texas Military Academy style with heavy Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a combo. Could, it's quite the combo. Yeah, that could keep you in the closet till you're 30, easily. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Easily. For sure. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a journey. Um, I, you know, went into foster care, still trying to keep in touch with my family and trying to keep things together as, as best I could. Um, I was very fortunate that I came across an opportunity and I've been able to become a business professional for the last 15 years, um, in sales. Uh, and I'm a regional sales manager now for an international company and was able to do all that without a college degree, without, anything but stubbornness um Mm -hmm. and which is a trait that I very much get from my dad so (laughs) it's a a good bad or indifferent with some of the some of the things that I got from him but I know I wouldn't be where I am today without that um so yeah it's it's been a wild ride taking me to a couple of different states all the way down to North Carolina now because I just decided one day I was going to do it Uh, that's uh that's really become a lot of how I live my life is I decide I'm going to do it and that's that's it yeah absolutely so having grown up in this you know really intense Christian household and coming to the other side and I mean you're still carrying pieces of that like you said you still eat kosher um right or a very kosher style diet how is your how is, what is your view now on religion and spirituality? Like, would you still say that you're holding into those like Christian tenets or has that shifted for you? Um, so I would say that, that, that Christian Christianity basis is still there for me. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to live like that and not, not always have that imprinted on you in some kind of way. Um, but I really identify myself more as spiritual than Mm -hmm. as Christian. I consider myself a spiritual person, not a religious person. There's a very big distinction to me in spirituality versus religion. Religion is, um, to me, it's a religion's a man-made thing and thereby it is and can be flawed. Um, but the spirituality is that that basis and that belief that it's, that it comes from, not so much the religion itself, if that makes sense. Um, so I've, I've developed more of a, uh, I don't really use the word God. I use the word universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's, that still maintains my Christian basis because if you are following Christianity in that manner, God is the universe, right? There was nothing. And then there was God. So like, it's, it's not a sacrilegious to the, the, the basis of the belief of that Christian system. Um, but I think it's still something that would make a lot of people turn their heads at me if I started talking too loudly about it. Um, so I, I say the universe because I feel that, um, I feel that every religion that's out there, there's, there's basis in truth right? People take it and they, they use it in whatever manner, but I believe that there is a basis in truth in there. Um, and even in the Bible, you know, everybody likes to quote that whole, uh, you know, I am the one true God, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. But he doesn't say there are no other gods. He just says, I'm the big one. And to me, that's, that's really the, 
you know, everyone likes to quote that and say Christianity is right, but he doesn't say there's no other gods. He just says, I'm first. And he doesn't say, don't, don't pay attention to the other ones. He doesn't say, don't acknowledge them. He doesn't say, don't utilize them and their abilities. He just says, remember me first. <laughs> I want the biggest gift at Christmas. Like, <laughs> that's all he's saying. Um, so I've, I've kind of run with that. And I really feel that there, there are things out there in the universe that, that are beyond any true basis of any religion. You know, um, I've, I've seen things, I've seen things work in, in a Wiccan sense. I've seen things work in a Buddhist sense. I've seen things work in, and I, I really believe that there is truth in all of them. So that's why I, I've taken on this kind of the universe view. Yeah. So much of what you're saying resonates with me. I remember I was pregnant with my middle child and I was having a conversation with my grandparents who are Reformed Baptist and really like, I mean, it is, there is the way, the truth and the light. And that is, there's one of them. That's it. And I remember having this conversation with them that essentially came to this, you know, the end of it. And it was like, you know, I see God but I see God as a, as like a multifaceted gem and each facet okay. is a face of another iteration of God, which we have made, yeah. you know, over and over and over again. Um, right. They tend to follow a lot of the same stories. If you get into myth, you know, like Isis mm -hmm. and Osiris and Horus, it looks very much like you know, the situation that occurred with Jesus Christ and Mary. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, it's so interesting to come to the other side of like a heavily Christian or evangelical background and to see all yeah. of these patterns that look so much the same, you know, absolutely in, in the myths and stories. You know, that's so interesting to me too, like how you have managed to take what would have been considered, you know, by, well, what I know is considered by a lot of women to be an extremely oppressive and kind of traumatic way to grow up in terms of the religious aspect and not totally turn from it. You know, yeah, you've held and incorporated it in the continuation of your spiritual beliefs. How do you think? Yeah, I've, uh, how do you think you have um, come from something that was so difficult and so oppressive and having this really stubborn disposition, like this go-getter, I'm going to get it done disposition? How do you think that you've come from this place where it was so oppressive and so, you know, stringent and then in turn flipped around and continued your life in such a way that's independent and true to who you are? while maintaining these ideas? Well, it's, it's funny. Um, a couple of years ago, I was, I was seeing a therapist um, and uh, she asked me the same question because she was very, very Christianity-based, um, spiritual, religious, what, what have you. And, you know, hearing my story and me going into depth of my childhood and, and how the the Bible and uh, spirituality really was a, a weapon in a lot of ways um, in, in my life. And she 
asked me the same thing. She said, how can you possibly still embrace this thing that, that was used like this? Um, and I, I think it really just comes down to who I am and who my father raised me to be. Um, because as, as much as it was a very confining environment within that spirituality or that religion, um, it was also, I was also raised very much raised to believe that I can do anything that, you know, I was trained to never take no. Um, and by trained, I really mean trained, um, as a little kid, my like toddler age, um, my father would take a toy or something that you wanted and he'd make you reach for it. And then he'd pull it back and he would build you up until you would reach for the thing seven times. And he would always ultimately give you the thing but he specifically trained us to always keep going to always go after what we want regardless of what stands in our way um and so i think that really you know as, as someone who knows me well lena you can say that that is very much the core of my being yes. uh, <laughs> so it's it created this uh, really this stubbornness in me that's going, I don't care what you just gave me. I don't care if you just hit me with the baseball bat. It's my baseball bat now, and I'm going to make it into what I need it to be. And I, I think that's really what happened to me with, with religion, with spirituality is, you know, even though it wasn't always used um, in, in ways that I agree with as an adult now, um, it was still something that was, that was a strength for me as a kid. You know, I was taught to, to lean on it. I was taught that this is, this is something that will protect you. So I really just kind of internalized it and took it and, and made it into the version that, that works for me. Yeah. So it's still yours regardless. Exactly. It's still mine. Yeah. I can imagine as a parent myself, having a toddler and teaching them to keep going for the thing that you uh, are pulling away from them might eventually backfire really harshly on me oh, as a parent. Oh, it, it's, a, it's definitely severely backfired. Trust me, my, my dad, as we were all growing up, we constantly be like, I told you no, why are you? And we would all go, you, you haven't said no seven times yet. So. <laughs> It's, I mean, it really is ingrained in our, in our beings. Like I, I said that, you know, I got into a career without any uh, college degree without, I really had no right to be there. The way that I got the job is I showed up at their doorstep every day for two weeks until they finally went, all right, let's just employ this chick because she's not going away. <laughs> so like I said, that training has its good and it's bad days. Uh -huh. She might be a good salesperson if she shows up every day for two weeks. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, what a story, you know, to just go after consistently what it is you want and to truly believe in yourself. But I'm sure that, you know, there had to have been moments where you just weren't sure. I mean, I can't imagine being a kid in foster care and, you know, having this juxtaposition of this family that has been so intensely, you know, maybe controlling, but also 
really just rooting for you. I mean, that's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing is that your dad were controlling or not was rooting for you pretty hardcore to get through life. Even if it really fucked him over in the end, in terms of like him being able to control you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My, my father was my greatest champion. Um, you know, as much as there was, you know, this, this controlling aspect, he was also the same man who would go, no, my daughter wants to go to this camp and I don't care if it's a camp. This literally actually did happen. Um, my daughter wants to go to this camp. I don't care that it's a camp for boys and I don't care that she's not actually old enough to be in this camp. I was 10. It was an 11 to 12 year old boys baseball camp. And my father went, no, my daughter wants this. You will give this to my daughter. It's be her being a girl. And that, that was really one of his biggest driving things always for me was you were a girl. The world is going to look at you a certain kind of way and they're, they're going to dismiss you for it. And you need to stand, you need to stand and because no one else is going to do it for you kind of thing. And, you know, as much as he didn't always have the greatest things, my father was my greatest champion. Um, there was, there was nothing that he wouldn't do for me. There was nothing that he wouldn't move aside for me. Um, and I was taught to expect nothing less. So when I, when I got into foster care, um, it was kind of an interesting juxtaposition because I had never been in trouble. I'd never done drugs. I was a straight A student. Like I was on three different softball teams. I was supposed to be going to college at UCLA. Like I was a good, good kid. Um, it was just that me and my dad couldn't coexist anymore. And, uh, I don't think the foster care system was prepared to get someone like me. Um, <laughs> so it, it really, weirdly enough, actually gave me a pretty good head start in that because, um, the, the, quite frankly, the Pennsylvania government pretty quickly learned that I would not be bullied. Um, I, I ultimately ended up suing my parents for my right to education um, so that I could graduate early. Um, to my knowledge, at, at the time it was definitely true. It might very well still be true, but um, I was the only child in York County foster care to fire their own caseworker and ultimately then get said caseworker fired for failing to provide me with medical services that I needed. Um, I mean, I was I was a force. Yeah. <laughs> <safely>. <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, that sounds like the Mirta I know for sure and for certain. So, you know, oh. you got, you got through foster care and, you know, then you're, you're spit out into the world. And I know you still yeah. have these two little brothers, right. That mm. you're caring for as best you can, you know, with school and, figuring out your work stuff. How were, how were, how was your like late teens, early twenties? What did that look like? Um, stress. It looked like stress. <laughs> um, I, uh, I got out of foster care, uh, at 18. I graduated early. Um, and I got my first apartment with basically all but no money in my pocket, no no one to co-sign, no one to buy a car for me, no one to, and quite frankly, I, I don't know how it worked. 
my first apartment was was five fifty a month, and I was making seven twenty five as a hostess at Olive Garden. So I really don't know how it actually worked out, other than that I basically just willed it into being because that's what has worked for me my whole life. Um, but it was it was a really it was really interesting. Um, you know, I got out there and I I didn't go wild because I had my brothers to to worry for. Um, you know, I, from the very get go, as soon as I could afford a two bedroom apartment, I've never had lived anywhere with less than two bedrooms because I was going to be there and I was going to take the boys in if it ever came to that. Like, um, I was there, I was always going to be close by. I was always going to be their refuge. I would take them for weekends, you know, um, and it just, it was, my life was very centered around that. I didn't have cable. I had a prepaid phone because I couldn't afford a real phone that I always have to pay the bill on. I, I had a car that I bought for $400 from a junkyard that didn't lock. Uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was a lot of those things, but I, but I took my brothers to Hershey park, but I would, you know, take them to the movies. Like that was what was important to me in life. I didn't even attend a concert until I was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how much my life was. My life was centered on, surviving because nobody else was going to do it for me and being there for the boys. And that was, that was all I did for a lot of years. Yeah. And then I would have met you then not long after your first concert. Uh, I attended my first concert with you. (gasps) That's right. Oh my God. (laughs) Social distortion. (laughs) Social distortion. That's a that's a hell of a choice for a first concert ever. Social distortion in Philly. (laughs) And we were with quite a crew. That was that was a treat to have. But you know, we were. By the time I met you, though, you I mean, you were solid. Like I remember the first time I met you, we had it was at a group gathering at a bar, and at the end of it, I mean, there must have been like ten of us. And we were probably there for a couple of hours. And at the end yeah. of it, I fighting over the bill. So I know like at, by that point and through our conversations, you had told me that you had already built up this position for yourself, doing mm. what you're doing, you know, with sales. And you just seemed like such a force to be reckoned with. But as some fresh, as some friendships do, we ran into some trouble between us, um, not so much between us, but with other people in that group. Right. A couple of which we were married to at some point or another. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, which, we, we've all made mistakes in life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, but you know, what's interesting is that we've kind of lost touch for a little bit through that time, you know, um, and continued to kind of keep our distance, even if we could come together here and there. And I want to know a little bit about, you know, that marriage and what you came to know was true while you were in it. Um, well, my my marriage um, to my ex-husband never should have happened in the first place, quite frankly. Um, and it's that's not that's not a knock on him about that. It it was 
it was uh it was very much on me he didn't understand or realize the, the hesitation um we basically had the worst engagement story in the history of the world um where i never actually said yes um and i cussed him out a lot um and then it just kind of turned out that we were engaged and it was basically because everyone knew that he was proposing to me and my entire family, all of my friends, uh, he had told them ahead of time. And so when he did propose, he immediately started telling people, hey, I proposed. So I'm getting all these phone calls of congratulations, this is amazing. And I just allowed myself to get kind of steamrolled. Um, and that's that's not a blame on him or my family or anyone for that. That's that's on me. As my strong, independent woman self, I should have been able to stand up and say, "This isn't what I want." Um, but it just it seemed like the right thing to do. It seemed like the the logical step. Um, and we we ultimately that was right before we moved to North Carolina. Um, away from Pennsylvania and uh, we didn't have any friends or family down here so it was a it was very isolated immediately um, and he was having different varieties of trouble finding work um, so I was supporting him and uh, it just it kind of it started to spiral out um, he became extremely dependent on me and I felt his dependence heavily and uh along with that then I felt guilt I brought him to North Carolina he doesn't know anyone down here he wouldn't be here without me and I well, even once I realized that I, I didn't want to be there anymore I felt guilty at the idea of cutting him loose of you know potentially leaving him in a, in a different state without his family without his friends without money without anything and so I really allowed it to to keep going that I allowed that guilt to to carry it um and ultimately I uh I met a girl while uh while he and I were married and um he'd known that I had you know been with women before um but like most straight guys he thought it was hot and didn't yeah. see it as an actual uh challenge to anything and it it really allowed me to realize that this person uh that that this is what I wanted that I really could date a woman I'd always told myself that women weren't strong enough for me that I needed that that counterpoint that I needed someone that could keep me in check in a lot of ways I do uh, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be masculine for that to work. Um, and I, I kind of written it up in my head that it needed to be masculine because of that, that upbringing, because of that basis that I was raised in, because of that thought process, this was the right thing to do. Um, and so I finally, I finally got real with myself and, um, it was ultimately because my ex-husband and I were about to buy a house together. We were eight days from closing on a house. And um, it was just like, I finally felt the walls closing in and was like, I've already allowed guilt to carry me this far. I've allowed, you know, shackle after shackle after shackle to come on because I feel wrong. And if I enter into this, you know, I, and I did, it's not that I entered into a marriage lightly, but now the government's involved. If you're, 
buying a house. Now the banks are involved. Now you're like, <laughs> and um, eight days before we were supposed to close, I backed out of the house, uh, came out to my family from afar, uh, which was really, really terrifying for me. I was, I was extremely frightened that I was going to lose my family, um, that I would be shut out. And really, I, I only had got brave enough to, to do it because my brothers had gotten old enough to where they couldn't be kept from me if that was how my parents decided to take it. Um, and miraculously, my dad was actually my biggest champion. I was so terrified to tell him. Um, but like I said before, there's nothing that his little girl can't have. There's nothing that my dad will. And I told, I came out to him and I sat there and I had, I had come up to visit and I had my bags packed and waiting by the door because I was so sure this story, this was going to go so badly. And he sat and he listened quietly and he nodded and drank his coffee. And I can't, I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of, well, God does say in the Bible to put a woman first. So that makes sense. And I was so flabbergasted. <laughs> It was, was, of course, of course he had to find a Bible verse to tie it back to. He had to find that, that bit of Bible to, to, but the fact that he, he looked, he, that he sat there and he dug through his brain and he went, if this is what my little girl wants, this, I know that this, this can be okay. I know that that this matters. And it was, it was the most beautiful and hilarious moment ever. <laughs> I love it. That's great. And, you know, I just want to, I just want to point out too, that I'm sure that there are tons and tons of listeners who can identify as a strong and independent and self like motivated woman who in turn have found themselves in things like marriages that just snowballed and that's where yeah. they ended up because of yeah. maybe one small point at which we didn't say no. Yep. You know? And, and, and once you've allowed it, you feel like you've allowed it and now you're responsible for everything that comes from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is so, so common. Um, I can't say that your coming out story is totally common, but like, <laughs> that, that piece right there, you know, it is so easy for us to end up in us in a place where we don't know which end is up. Even if we're, even if we're the kind of women that people are like, Oh, they, you know, nobody puts Myrta in a corner. Right. Even when that happens, we still, you know, it can happen to anyone. I think is the point that I'm trying to make. It's just, it's so prevalent. It happens all the time. Absolutely. It absolutely can happen to anyone. And also, I really feel that the the stronger that you are, the more that you're looked at as having your shit together. You know, you said the first time we met that you were looking at me going, damn, this girl is like, this girl got it. No one pushes her around. That, that makes it even worse um, because you're perceived as that. So anything that's happening to you, it has to be your choice, right? Mm-hmm. 
nothing yeah. could be happening to you. If you're this, this strong, independent person, nothing could be happening to you that's not your choice. Everyone mm-hmm. knows that. Everyone knows that you stand up. Everyone knows that you say what you need. Everyone knows that you would never tolerate this. Mm-hmm. And so then once that seed starts, it, it, it's so easy to, to internalize it and to hide it in that shame because you're a strong, independent woman. How did you let this happen? How did you let, so you, you won't acknowledge it. You can't address it because then you'd have to say out loud that you let this thing happen, that you didn't speak up. You'd have to admit that you, that, you know, it's, it's not the right word, but it's the word that it felt for me. You have to admit that you were a coward. Um, I was very much a coward in not standing up and saying, I don't want to get married right now. I don't want to be engaged. Um, and it's, it's not the right word for it. Um, and I, so I, I clarify that because I don't want that to sound like judgment. I'm saying it from my perspective, how I mm-hmm. felt, how yeah. I felt to stand and say that it felt like I was acknowledging that I was a coward and my life has been about being anything but that. So it just, you know, you, you internalizing, you hide that shame. And I think we, as women, especially strong, independent women are terrible with that. I know other women like me, uh, you know, um, through business, through personal life, through whatever, who are exactly the same way. If, if you're, if you're a badass, you have to be a badass all the time. And it's just not true. Oh, girl. (laughs) (laughs) It's taken me such a long time. And it's still, it's still an, an evolving process for me, but it's taken me such a long time to, to acknowledge and to go, I need help. Um, you know, and, and ultimately that's how you and I most recently reconnected was that I finally had to sit there and go, all right, I'm not, I'm not doing this well on my own. Like I'm not, and I, I need help. And you had just started, you know, your, your dual work. And I was like, oh my God, someone who already knows the complexities of my brain <laughs> and, and, you know, can just, just help me out with some direction. You know, COVID has, COVID hit me hard um, yeah. because it, it negated my strong, independent womanhood. I couldn't mm-hmm. travel. I wasn't working like I used to. And um, having someone else, just even just reaching out to someone, even though we're so close, it was still embarrassing to me. I had to message you, be a Facebook messenger at like 2.30 in the morning because I couldn't bring myself to call you and say, Elena, I need help. You know, it's just, that's, that's that secret shame that we, we all just need to stop making it so secret. And I feel like that's one of the very best things that has come out of COVID is normalizing being able to say, when someone says, how are you today? Normalizing being able to say, it's been a shit day. Normalizing being able to say, I'm anxious today. I'm depressed today. And normalizing being able to do that is like, that's the biggest and best change I've seen out of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely been a journey where we have all had to stop and really take a look at ourselves outside of our busyness, outside of you know, these personas that we have built up and show to the world. Because I mean, as you know, by now being my client, it's not all about like what's out here. And when what's out here isn't, isn't moving the same way anymore, we end up having to look in. And when you haven't looked in in a while, it's really hard 
You know, I mean, we went through a process together where we essentially used muscle testing to check some core beliefs. And it's shocking. Right. You know, it was shocking for me when I did it. I know it was surprising yeah. for you when we went through it. And it continues to be every single time I'm working with someone. But when we are so externally focused, when we're so focused on our on our work and our jobs and our kids and our families and our husbands and our wives yeah. and partners and you know, all of it, we stop looking internally. And yeah, I think that so much of the work that's coming out of 2020 for women who identify like we do is like this get it done badass kind of like let's like power through it yeah is that we have to stop and nurture ourselves to check in with ourselves you know and when we see something there that's something we don't know what to do with we have to ask for help you know and it's the hardest thing in the world sometimes to ask for help I'm terrible at it (laughs) Yes, you are. I am. am. And it's not that I don't know what to do. And it's not that I don't know how to do it. And it's not that I haven't initiated enough discipline into my life now where I will. But that that first step, you know, 2.30 in the morning, I remember waking up that next day and getting this message and knowing like that it must like 2.30 a.m. your time, like it must have been in the dark of night (laughs) it was and it was like 19 pages long (laughs) it's ridiculous yeah but it was perfect at the same time yeah absolutely Absolutely. you know I I mean even for me you know when it comes to stuff like this like of course you can help your friends you know but at some points like it makes sense to refer them out so that Right. You can maintain just a friendship instead of having this dual relationship situation. Right. Um, but I'm glad that I'm glad that we decided to work together because in the end, well, I mean, I learned a lot about you, even though I'd already known you. But in the end, you know, you you teach me too. And yeah, it it does feel very back and forth when we when we go through it. Like it's it's, it's a growing together. And I think that's part of what I love most about our sessions. Yeah. And I think maybe that's one way that I even feel a little differently about like this versus getting like a therapist, you know, as a doula, I can be a bit closer. I can, it's not, oh, time's up at, you know, 10 of, you know, you get your 50 minutes with your therapist, you know, it's, and like, then you're leaving their office. Now it's more of, a, it's a closer relationship. There's more of a friendship, kind of like if you've ever had a birth doula, they're pretty tight. Like that's emotional support. You have their number, yeah. <laughs> like you call them when you were hitting the shit, you know, it's, it's a thing. And I've really enjoyed this, this aspect of our journey together too. Very, very much ditto, very much ditto. And it's, it's really helped to teach me a lot with the reaching out and saying help, you know, acknowledging that, that I'm, I'm not superwoman. Um, it's, it's helped me to, to learn to do that and to learn to go, I can't do it today. I can't, you know, I, I just, right now I'm not there. I need to take my mental health break, you know, and just like 
go take a shower and cry or whatever. It's, it's helped me to learn to, to, that it's okay to need help. Um, and that it's, that it's okay to say that you're overwhelmed. And that's, that's been one of the most difficult things for me to learn. And it's something that I'm still learning, but I, I appreciate you helping me get there very much. I have totally enjoyed this journey with you. You know, we, we learn from and inform one another. And I think that that in the end is, you know, the ultimate goal is walking forward together. It's not always being led. It's not always, you know, this hierarchical situation. Sometimes you really just need to walk with someone, you know, and that is the basis of what I love to do. So I'm so grateful that you've joined me in this journey. And here today on Sassy Esoterics, I knew you had plenty of sass to show up with, but I've particularly (laughs) enjoyed your esoteric ideologies too, like how you have come from this place of extremely controlling, but somehow totally uplifted, you know, childhood experience. (laughs) Like it's, it's just, it's such a, it's such a, an amazing story. And I, I tell you this all the time, but I really hope you just write it the fuck down and publish, publish <laughs> it already. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and you know, what's even worse is that it's COVID. So I have no excuse now. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I can hear the eye roll. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, I'll just keep needling a little bit at a time. But As you should. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Mirta. I really appreciate you. And I know our listeners do too. Absolutely. I loved getting to be here. And uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks again for joining us. Our theme music is River by Cumberland Honey. Follow them at Cumberland Honey PA on Instagram and Facebook. You can find them on YouTube and listen to their EP, Stand Up, on Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoyed the show, click subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next week for our next sassy conversation. Take me down.